0: to our final teaching in the book of Revelation now the last time we were here well let's just go up a little bit higher to Revelation chapter 21 and basically what we saw was the eternal age or the eternal state and the idea of that is basically there is the absence of sin as we have done away that is God has done away with the old order of things remember as the scripture says in first Corinthians chapter 15 that the last enemy that shall be destroyed would be death. And so what we see in that second resurrection from the dead, we also see the end of death in its totality. So death in a nutshell, death is done away with, and we begin what is the eternal order. Notice the eternal order is literally the direct opposite of death. There's no more death now we have entered into eternal and so revelation 21 basically introduces us to the nature of the eternal order that is it would be a time of righteousness and holiness only there will be no more sin there's the total eradication of sin for all time and then we are introduced in the second half of 21 the holy city new jerusalem now what you got to keep in mind guys there is a distinction between this jerusalem and the jerusalem of the messiah remember once again the jerusalem of messiah will be a jerusalem it'll be uh done again and when i say done again that is basically structured all over again revitalized all over again When Jesus returns in his second advent. But nevertheless, that Jerusalem is temporal. That is, it is of this present earth. Okay, it's just revitalized. But when we get into the Jerusalem of Revelation 21, this will be the holy city that comes down from God. This is the eternal Jerusalem itself. And so what the remainder of Revelation 21 talked about was for the most part, the appearance of that Jerusalem in its grandeur, uh, the whole. And, and there is an, an explicit comparison as Jerusalem of Messiah was great. The Jerusalem of the eternal kingdom is greater. It is a city of gold. It is a place of jewels of sparkling where the Shekinah glory of God itself exists and shine and different from the Jerusalem of Jesus's kingdom, the Messiah kingdom in his second advent, there is an absence of a temple in the millennial. We know that there will be a rebuilt temple, the fourth temple that Jesus himself will have rebuilt. However, in the new Jerusalem, there will be an absence of any temple whatsoever with God and the lamb being present in the city, serving as the sort that is the idea of a temple of God. The God himself is in the midst. So there is no need of a temple, any type of go between between man and God, because we have now entered into the perfect and holy state. OK. Now, with all of that being said, we go into chapter 22 and hopefully we'll be able to wrap it up with a single teaching. He continues in basically verses one through five talking about the holy city, the new Jerusalem. So he continues with that aspect. And then from that point on, he gives us some encouraging words and he closes this particular book. Verse number one. Then he showed me a river of the water of life. Clearest crystal coming from the throne of God and of the lamb in the middle of his street on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So now again, he continues talking about the new Jerusalem. He concentrates on this particular river. He calls it the water of life. Now, the whole issue about being clear as crystals. Now, we, we do believe that there will be such a river. So all of these things are to be taken literally. But there is also a sense of symbolism that is being implied here because of the crystal clear nature of the river. The purity, more pure than anything of the old age from the old earth could give. And also the sense of purity in the sense of absolute holiness. Okay. Holiness. And that's the whole idea we've been getting all along concerning the holy city, New Jerusalem, this purity that God will give because sin is done away with the coming in of a new holy and eternal age. And this river proceeds from the throne of God and of the lamb. And notice once again, we see a joint sharing of the throne of God with both the lamb that is Jesus and God, the father. Okay. And then it talks about it being in the middle of the street. Now this can kind of seem a little confusing, but what it seems to suggest is this, there is a river flowing from the throne of God and the river splits around the tree. So what we see in verse number two is the reintroduction of the tree of life. Now, If you recall, the first time we saw the tree of life was in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter two. And the whole idea of the tree of life was to provide, to give physical life to man. That is if he passed the test, but I don't have time to go into that. But nevertheless, the tree of life was introduced in the book of Genesis. Then we know because man failed the test, Man was forbidden to have access to the tree of life, which would have granted him eternal physical life, physical life within this human body. OK, he was not granted this prize to eat from the tree of life. And in Genesis chapter six, six, seven and eight, we know that the tree of life was destroyed by the great flood of Noah and it never reappeared again. So now we have the reappearance of the tree of life in the eternal state, in the new Jerusalem, okay? And so what we find is this river, back to the river, is branching from the throne of God, the tree of life is there in the center, and the river seems to cut around it, per se, all right? And it talks about how that there are be 12 kinds of fruit that will be bearing fruit every month. So 12 different types of fruit every month. The tree of life would bear fruit and, and I don't want to say year round, but that seems to be the idea. And the reason why I don't want to get into so much as year round is the Scripture does not talk about time, as we know it, uh, um, in the eternal age. Remember, okay. I, I don't want to get into it big time, but right now we understand: 60 seconds is a minute, 60 minutes is an hour, and 24 hours is a day. Uh, 30 days is a month, according to Jewish time. Okay, 12 months is a year. Now, the scripture doesn't tell us explicitly how time will be in the eternal age, but it does seem to suggest some sense of similarity. And since it doesn't get into it at all, except except for to simply say that there will be 12 months. How many days in a month? We don't know. But there will be 12 months. That's all I'll say about that, because it's really talking about how the tree will produce fruit on a monthly basis. And there will be 12 different types of fruits, one type for each month. Okay. And the function of these fruit would be for the healing of the nation of the Gentile nations. Now, when it talks about the healing, we know, we know that healing became necessary because of sin. remember when Adam took up the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil Death entered. That's what Paul was teaching in the book of Romans by one man. Death entered. One of the results of death is decay. And and when we say decay, that basically means sickness. So you have sickness and death because of the original sin. We know that we are no longer in the original earth anymore. It's done away with. We're in the eternal state. There is no more sin. But in some sense, in some sense of the way, God has still given this tree of life for healing of the nation. So in some sense or another, it will be functioning in some way for the content, for the continuous healing of the nations, even though there is no presence of sin anymore. OK, verse number three, there will no longer be any curse and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bond servants will serve him and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. So in verses number three, again, he emphasizes the fact that what there is no longer a curse. OK, go back to exactly what I was telling you. When Adam fell, when he disobeyed, there was a curse upon the land. There was a curse upon all of creation as a whole. And because of sin and it brought forth death. And so all John is doing here is saying the curse is now lifted because there is no more presence of sin. And he emphasizes the fact once again, the presence of the, the of the throne of God and the lamb and the and how that the ultimate desire, which should be the ultimate desire of us now. But in that day, all of the servants of God will worship him will serve him. And then it brings the idea of they will see his face. The point of this statement is one of holiness and privilege. Okay, for example, do you remember when Moses knew that in his interaction with God, he was seeing a localized version of God? When I say localized, let me make make you understand it. He knew that there was more to God to be seen than what God was allowing him to see. So when Israel had sinned once again and God had said that he would not go with the people anymore and Moses interceded for the people to go interceded with God to continue to go with the people. Moses made a request of God and said, let me see your face. And do you remember the response of God? No man can see my face and live. Now, no doubt there's a lot of things going on with that statement. No man, per se, in this frame of ours, can see, when I say frame, in this body, our bodies cannot bear to look upon God. Notice, even when the prophets would be Uh, facing God, Elijah, how they would cover their faces and no no man wanted to dare look upon God for fear of death. But the point is, Moses made this request to see God in the fullness of his glory. And God said, this cannot be allowed because you, you will not live. So no doubt a physical issue involved And I also clearly believe there is a sin issue involved, even though Moses, the great servant, faithful in all of God's house, Moses was still a man of sin. Moses still had sin. But now as we move here, as we speak here now, back in Revelation 22, we are in the eternal state. There is no more sin. And those who are in the kingdom of God, remember what Paul said once again, 1 Corinthians 15, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These physical bodies must be changed. So going back to those two points that I just made, we now have eternal glorified bodies that are able to see God face to face in that sense, see the glory of God. By permission of God, the allowance of God, but also the idea brings about privilege to see God face to face is a wonderful privilege. The whole idea is God is among men. And that's what God was literally saying. Remember in Revelation chapter 21, how God is present among his people. So it is a benefit and privilege and his name will be on their foreheads. We see that uh, type of language talked about. In the book of Ezekiel, remember to put the name on the foreheads. We also see it in Revelation chapter seven. Remember the hundred and okay, I went real, I went really fast. In the book of Ezekiel, when God was getting ready to bring destruction to Jerusalem, we know the Babylonian destruction of five eighty six B C. When God was getting ready to do those things and destroy the temple, God did what? He had this man with an inkhorn to write. His name upon the heads of all of those who believed in God. We also see a similar thing done in Revelation chapter 7 with the sealing of the 144,000 Jewish people, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of these Jews. But the point is they belong to God. So what we see here in verse number four is the name of God is on the foreheads. Of all, because all who will be in the city of Jerusalem in the eternal order itself will be people of God. And that's what we see the privilege of being in the presence of God, serving and worshiping Him as His people forevermore, with no more sin ever again. That's the full picture that's being brought in. Verse 5 And there will no longer be any night. And they will not and they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. So as we finish talking about the holy city now talks about the need of artificial light, like we basically have We the light of the sun or the light of a lamp, a candlestick. We just simply understand that as artificial light. The light of a lamp, the light that's shining literally even in so in this room where I am, there will be light in Jerusalem and this light will provide light unto the earth and the light that will be shining will be the Shekinah glory of God. Remember, we saw this light in the tabernacle, the first tabernacle that Moses uh, erected in the wilderness. We also saw this same Shekinah glory light when Solomon dedicated the first temple. So this is just simply the full shining brightness of God's glory. And it actually gives light to all. Okay. Verse six. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets sent his angel to show to his bond servants, the things which must soon take place and behold, I'm coming quickly Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Okay. So now, basically, what we have is an affirmation of this prophecy. That is an affirmation of the words of the book of Revelation, as we call it today, the book of Revelation, all right? And so he says, the words are faithful and true. All of the predictive material in the book of Revelation, everything that God said about, remember, about his person in the first chapters, chapters one, two, uh, chapters one and two. And then as he begins to talk about the churches, remember that chapters two and three talk about the churches and his disposition toward the church as well as the church age. Then the things that will take place after the rapture of the church, after the age of the church, chapters four, all the way up to chapter 19, which deals with the return the second advent of Jesus Christ up until the point of Revelation chapter 20 when Jesus returns and rules in the millennial kingdom for a thousand years and sets up thrones for the saints of God and Satan is in prison all to the the coming back of Satan out of prison for a little while until the great judgment day in the end of Revelation chapter 20 and in Revelation 21 The remaking of all things. That's the book of Revelation in a nutshell. So all of the things that have been written in this book are true and evident and they will come to pass. And basically, that's what he simply said. And God has sent the angel to make to give this revelation to John. Such revelation that have been given to the faithful prophets. Down through the ages, okay, and then he uses the phrase at the end of verse number six, and I don't want to put a lot of time in it Which must soon take place Okay, when we see this, which, which must soon take place, take or takus This basically is forming kind of like book endings You will see the same language when I say, okay, book ending, think, okay, let it down again Think book endings, that which is in the front of the book or the cover of a book and then the back of the book right? All in the inside of it is the internal contents of the book. This statement soon come to pass serves as book endings to emphasize the fact that, okay, first let me say, uh, let me just simply tell you what it does not mean soon come to pass does not mean it is about to happen right now. That's not the idea of Taku, but what is really trying to emphasize is book endings. The idea, Book endings, that which starts at the front, that which goes to the end, everything in between. Once these events begin to take place, they will take place rapidly. That's the idea, you get it? Once these events begin to take place, it brings about the assuredness of these events, and it also speaks of the rapidity it will be rapidly, especially when you start looking, notice because the very bulk of the book, Chapters four through 19 basically deals with seven years. The bulk of the book only deals with a seven year period in totality. And the majority of that is concentrated. The majority is concentrated only on three and a half years, which we call the great tribulation. So therefore, once these events begin to take place, they will take place rapidly and that's what he is trying to say and so with this idea in mind that when, when it happens it's going to come on and will bring about the end it will bring about the end which is the coming of jesus to the earth in his second advent then after his kingdom the coming of the kingdom of god the father which will be eternal Because these things are rapidly coming. Notice he says, and I'm coming quickly. So therefore, listen to the message of this book. So it gives a blessing a beatitude. Blessed is he who heeds the words of prophecy of this book. Listen to the message, because if you listen and take heed to the warning, you will make the necessary adjustments. You won't be unprepared for the coming of the Lord. That's all he's trying to say. And then we find the witness verses number eight and nine, the witness of John. According, John is saying, I'm the one who he told, told these things. I'm the one who wrote these things. I heard and saw them, and I wrote it down in the book. And John is so moved by the revelation till again, uh, till now, should I say, John falls and worships. He's just really moved by it. He begins to worship the angel who is giving him the revelation from Jesus. OK. And the angel let him lets him know this is a no, no. We only worship God. So and no. And and since I'm there. And so therefore, when we see Jesus accepting worship, what is Jesus saying about himself? He is God worthy of Worship proskuneo. He is worthy of our worship. But the point is, the angel simply says, I'm a fellow servant of yours. So therefore, worship God. All right. Verse number 10, as he begins to seal up this final message. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. Behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. So now let me stop there because there is a little bit of confusion in verse number 11, but is earned out when we get to verse number 12. So what does he say? He says unto John, don't seal up the words of this book. Okay. That's literally the opposite of what God has said to Daniel. Remember in Daniel chapter 12 and it was told to Daniel concerning the words of the prophecy of that. God had given to Daniel to seal them up. That is there. That will be okay to seal them up. Uh, it deals with disclosure. Disclosure. That's the idea of disclosure. And the reason is there were certain things in the prophecy of Daniel that would not be understood by those in Daniel's day, but will only be understood by those when these prophecies are being fulfilled. So therefore the prophecy will be sealed and hidden. That's the idea. Okay. So is not understood in Daniel's time. Therefore it is sealed until a specific time. But because the time is now, now back in revelation, the revelation that is being given to John, that time is now. And the things that are being spoken of apply to now, this now time. And even as we walk through the future, John is commanded, not the opposite of Daniel, Don't seal the book because such a time is now and the understanding is meant for now, which lets us know that the book of Revelation is not some mystical book, not meant to be understood. It is an unsealed book, unsealed, meant to be understood and interpreted in this age, okay, by us today. All right. But so that's all I want to say for the time is near. The time is angus. He uses a different word, angus, which means the time for the happening of these things drawing close. Then he gets that verse number 11. That's the point that I was saying earlier that can be kind of confusing. Because he says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. One who is filthy still be filthy. And it seems because normally, what we normally expect the sense of as we saw it in the book of Revelation chapter 2 and 3 the idea of repent but here there is no sense of God saying repent God is not urging such a one to repent it is like those who are sinning in whatever the capacity might be like he says do wrong be filthy or whatever or those who are living according to God's righteous standards practicing righteousness or be holy Whatever side you are on, if you are on the side of the unrighteous, God simply says, then therefore continue to do it. This is a point of position that a person has taken, or, or righteous or unrighteous. Okay, let me explain it well so you'll get it. If you have rejected Christ Jesus as Messiah and living in, in a sinful way, then continue to do so as you have rejected all warning. You have rejected even this final warning. So therefore God says, as you have determined in your mind to do and to be, be that way, stay that way, because you, you have refused this word. You have refused to listen. And the idea really comes about In verse number 12, notice, behold, I'm coming quickly and my reward is with me. Now that helps us to really understand verse 11. So what is he saying? Those who continue in righteousness, know one thing. Those who continue in unrighteousness, know one thing. What should I know? That Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming soon. And whether you chose to live in an unrighteous manner, he will reward you for that. Or whether you chose to live in a righteous manner, he will reward you for that as well. And so that's how we interpret verse number 11. Not so much as God simply saying, I don't want you to do right. No, he's simply saying, if this is the course you have determined for yourself, no one thing. You will receive a reward for it whether it be good or evil. Okay. And now verse number 13, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So let me just simply deal with that verse within itself. It's not a lot uh, to deal with, with alpha. Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Omega is the last al- alphabet of the Greek. Alphabet of the Greek alphabet. Okay, and then notice in comparison to along with that alpha the first Omega The last you see it now the comparative state that he's making and then once again the beginning like Alpha the beginning the first the beginning and then the end Omega The end, the last, the end. So basically what we're seeing is eternality, eternality. So when Jesus says unto himself, he is ascribing, ascribing certain things to himself. That is to his nature by being alpha, omega, beginning. He is the eternal one. And the only one who could be eternal in itself is God. So Jesus is simply saying I guarantee all of these things that I've spoken to you in the book of Revelation. I guarantee the reward that I will give to both the righteous as well as the unrighteous. It is based upon the very nature of the one speaking himself. And Jesus is simply saying, I am God. I am God. So therefore, be assured, because notice this whole section is affirming. Affirming the reality, the assuredness that the words written in this book are true. Okay, And so Jesus bases that upon his own person. Now he continues with the Beatitudes. Beatitudes. We know that from the book of Matthew, which simply means the blessed blessedness. Okay, He continues that with verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates of the city outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. So now all it basically says is, he just simply says, blessed are those who have responded to the gospel message. When he says, wash their robes, that that the whole idea is responding to the gospel message. The response to the gospel message is very simple. I believe that Jesus is eternal God, who took upon himself flesh, made himself into a man for the suffering of death, for sins, for my sins, and that he went into the grave and he was resurrected from the dead, seated now at the right hand of power on the throne of God that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. As Paul talked about the gospel once again in first Corinthians chapter 15. So in believing that you wash your robes, that is by faith in Christ Jesus and what he has done, we are now cleaned and presentable before God. Right. And now being found in such a state, remember he started talking about the tree that was in the, uh, in, in the tree of life that is in that garden with the rivers of water remember that now you have a right to what the tree of life the tree of life that was once forbidden to mankind because of sin is no longer forbidden so the idea of what we see happening here is invitation invitation. And that's what we're going to basically see to the end of revelation. God's inviting hand to all of those who will believe in his son. Okay. But let me continue on so I don't mess up and go on the wrong track. And so by doing that, you have the right to enter the city. Because remember, in Revelation chapter 21, he began to talk about the holy city, New Jerusalem, because we are now clean. We are now washed. We have an invitation now to the tree. And now we have an invitation into that holy city, directly into the presence of God. And then he talked about being outside. When he said outside a dogs, Remember, the dog was the unclean animal, sometimes uh, negatively referred to by Jews. As Gentiles who did not know God. Same idea for the most part. Not so much as Gentiles who don't know God, but all who do not know God. Okay? Those who rejected Christ and the gospel message. Dogs and sorcerers, those with their magical enchantments. But also, remember, I've taught you on several times before, you saw it in the book of Revelation. The word has a root of pharmacai, that is drug abuse. So it brings about magical enchantment, witchcraft, as well as it encompasses drug abuse. So these people, immoral persons, these are sexually immoral persons, murderers, idolaters. The whole point is all unbelievers are outside. And we know that according to Revelation chapter 20 at the very end, what happened? All unbelievers are now in the lake of fire, okay? Now, let's finish. Jesus 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and bride say, come, and the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty Come, let the one who wishes to take of the water of life without cost. And the idea that is being implied, come. I testify to everyone who hears the word. Okay, let me just stop there and I'll deal with the rest together. But verses 16 and 17. So once again, we have almost, we're nearing the final words of our Lord. And it, it comes with an invitation. Notice we say at the very end, it is an invitation. It is an invitation to the churches that says come and here Jesus identifies him as the root and the descendant of David. And we all, we just simply know that to be Jesus is a descendant of King David. He descends from the tribe of Judah and it also uh, uh, speaks towards his kingship as one who comes from David. He will be king over all the earth. Okay. And the bright and morning star, It speaks of a new day. It is because of Jesus, through Jesus, with Jesus. We have even now right here in Revelation, the eternal kingdom, the beginning of a new morning, a new day, a new order. Okay, And so we have the continuation of the invitation in verse number 17 by the spirit. That is the Holy Spirit and the bride, which is the church that is the invitation to believe and receive Jesus for in doing so this great kingdom that we were talking about the eternal kingdom and the holy city new jerusalem the tree uh, the, the waters of life from the great river the tree of life these wonderful blessings will be yours if you properly respond to the invitation to believe in Jesus, okay? And then the idea let one who is thirsty come and take of the water of life. We can even see a, a, a shadow of that when Jesus spoke in John chapter seven, when Jesus was at the great feast and said that if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. This is the ultimate fulfillment of Jesus' words from John chapter seven. That water, not only from the Holy Spirit that Jesus will give to those who believe in him, The spirit, as well as this great river of life, which will be the ultimate consummation of the giving of life. You got it? The spirit. Okay, let me slow it down so you'll understand it. The spirit that is the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives to those who believe in him. We have that now. We have that right now. But what's being spoken of in the book of Revelation at this time, we don't have it. So that water of life of the spirit, John chapter seven, is a down payment. And that's what the Bible speaks of in several places in the book of Ephesians. I believe in the book of Romans, if I'm not misunderstood, Romans as well. and I think also in second Corinthians, I believe. But don't hold my feet to the fire. But nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is a down payment of the blessings that is to come. This is the blessing that is to come. The water of life. OK, so th- that's the idea of how all of these things kind of mesh together. So not the bottom line, it is an invitation to the eternal blessings that God has for those who love him. So now let's finish. Verse number 18 to 21. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone asks to. As to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. He who testifies of these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. So now. What we have, verses 18 through 21, final affirmation of the book of Revelation. And so with that affirmation comes what? A testimony. That testimony is to hear the words of the prophecy of this book. That is receive it, to hear it, receive it, believe it. That's the idea. That's what's going on underneath everything. Hear it, believe it, receive it. Because this prophecy deals with the revelation of Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the things that Jesus will do that results in his return and the renovation of a new heaven and new earth, the actions of Jesus. Okay, so that's the idea. And he says, don't take away, don't add to the words of the prophecy of this book. And that that just simply means for what itself, whatever God has revealed to John that gives us revelation. Do not take away. Don't add, because in doing so, you are subject to a punishment. And that's verse number 19, that his part to the tree of life or the holy city. Tree of life, holy city. That is ultimately to have fellowship with God, ultimately to be in the presence of God which simply means you will be forever cast away from the presence of God. Now, what John is trying to say is this. He's not trying to say that if you take from the book of Revelation, or if you add to the book of Revelation, just, Oh, and you should have did that. God's going to throw you out now. Mm-mm. What he means is by not believing, by uh, disbelieving, by not believing the word that God has given in this final transmission, This final revelation by disbelieving that it is simply an indication. It shows that you don't believe in Christ. This remember, this revelation is the final consummation of Jesus's revelation. Okay, so to believe in this is to believe in the full fullness of the revelation of Jesus. To not believe in this revelation is to ultimately reject Jesus. If you reject Jesus, of course, you don't, you won't have a part in the holy city. If you reject Jesus, of course, you won't have, you won't be a partaker of the tree of life or the waters of life. You will be cast away from God. And that's the idea to reject the revelation of Christ. Even this final resurrection is just an indication you don't have Jesus in the first place to not have Jesus. Is you just going to the lake of fire? That's all. That's just the bottom line. Okay. And then finally, in verses 20 and 21, we have the words of our Lord, the last words of Jesus in Scripture. He who testified to these things. Now that is God, the father that is speaking through the angel, through his son, through the angel to John. He who testified to John. Yes, I am coming quickly. And again, here is Jesus speaking of his return. And he uses that word once again. Taku. I am coming quickly. When he, when these things begin to happen, they happen in rapid fashion. And so Jesus Again, the warnings, and that's the idea that's being brought together in the end. It's a warning. Don't let him catch you unprepared. For if the, if the good man of the house, if the steward of the house had known at what hour the thief would have come, he wouldn't have allowed himself to be broken in. I'm coming at a time when you don't expect. I'm coming at a time that's going to catch you unaware. And for most part, that is really for the most part, unbelievers. The saints of God should be ready because he's told us all of these things, okay? But the point is, be prepared. Be ready for the coming of the Lord. For when the Lord does come back and these things begin to happen, they will happen quickly. The Lord will return and he will reward all, whether good or bad, according to their actions, according to their behavior, according to the lives that they lived, okay? Okay and then we find the the final words coming from john the apostle john says amen and that simply means so let it be so we can see the final stirring in the heart of john when jesus says i'm coming quickly and it seems that we can identify with john when john says come lord we can see that same kind of emotional identification When we ourselves sometimes say in prayer, I wanna go home. I'm sick and tired of this world, just take me home. And that's what we feel John is trying to say when Jesus is saying, I will be back. And John is saying, please Lord, come back. And notice, come Lord Jesus. And that is the prayer of all of God's people. And he ends the book of Revelation. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Well, guys, we have finally finished teaching the, teaching the book of Revelation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed teaching. God bless you.